Welcome to the Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success in your business. On this episode, we've got Paul Walters, Managing Director of Lime Tree Europe, talking about all things international trade, sharing some practical tips and hints on how to get it right, some pitfalls on what you might need to avoid, and how to make the most of the opportunities that the international business arena offers your business. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So, welcome to the Impact Sessions. I'm delighted this morning to invite my uh, good friend and, and, and former colleague, Paul Walters. Paul is Managing Director of Lime Tree Europe, and um, uh, Paul's a, a, an expert in all things international trade. Says on his website, local knowledge and global connections. And, you know, having worked with Paul previously, I know that to be true. Um, we're delighted to have him here because he's done three exhibitions in the last three weeks in three different countries. And he's also suffering from a little remnant of man flu. Now, if we've got any lady listeners out there, it's a real thing. So, uh, Paul, welcome to the Impact Sessions podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation. So, Paul, I'd like to start by asking a couple of questions uh, just to expand on your uh, sort of background and, and, and share all your knowledge about all things international trade, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, I hadn't really intended to go into international trade when I was at school. I actually studied to be uh, a technical illustrator, uh, but for many reasons I won't bore you with, um, I actually left college and I went to work at Manchester Airport All right. on the cargo side. Um, now, I'd always had an interest in travel, but I grew up in the generation um, that overseas holidays wasn't really a thing at the time. Mm. It was just something you dreamed of. Um, and I started work at the airport, working in air cargo, and I just kind of fell in love with the job and and dealing with... I found I had a, a knack for dealing with people overseas. A good example is, as, as a 17-year-old... Um, I used to do the usual jobs of making the tea and the coffee. Um, one of the things I also had to do was type all the manifests and mm. send them out. And at that time, we were dealing with a gentleman in the Middle East that none of my colleagues liked to deal with, but I used to have send him all the pre-alerts and whatever. And he used to ring up, and I ended up speaking to him. And for some reason... Uh, we hit it off, and I was the only people he liked to deal, the only person he liked to deal with in the office. And I'd ask him questions about he he lived in Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, which was a much safer place at that time. Mm. Um, and I'd ask him questions about life in Iraq, and he'd tell me things about that, and he'd ask about how things were going in England. Uh, it wouldn't surprise you to say that we both had a mutual interest in football, which often starts a conversation yeah. uh, when you trade overseas. And it kind of grew from that. I found I enjoyed it. Um, I then took a decision um, after a few years working in forwarding that I enjoyed that, but I'd like to see what it was like on the other side of the fence. 
and went to work for a for a manufacturer, um, learnt that side of the business, and kind of through the rest of my career, I, I alternated by working in on the manufacturing side and working on the logistics side um, until about six years ago now. Uh, I was going to say unfortunately, but actually I think fortunately I was made redundant um, and I have to admit I'm not in the first flush of youth <laughs> and was thinking what to do and I was sat to having dinner with friends a couple of days after I'd found out about this and, and they said to me, well, you've got a great... Uh, breadth of experience covering lots of sectors why don't you go out there and and help people who want to start exporting that haven't got your experience and here I am today. Excellent well I think I met you in the early days of Lime Tree Europe you were on a, a training course that I was running and you were attending as a, as a new business and then we've We've worked together on a project that didn't quite uh, get off the blocks, but you know, you I, f- I found you extremely helpful and and, and, and a valuable kind of uh, contact for that for me. Um, but I know you help lots of businesses with their international trade plans, both import and export. But why do you think so many businesses don't really think international trade might be for them, particularly you know SME businesses who have got a massive global opportunity but just don't seem to see it. Uh, I'd like to answer that in two ways. I think the the first answer, and this is a a question that I'm asked many times, uh, it's fear, fear of the unknown, fear of dealing with people in different countries, in different languages, uh, (coughs) excuse me, and not knowing how they're going to handle it. And that's kind of where people like I, I come in. But I do actually think that's changing now. Um, I'm also a member of the FSB and on their, their international trade group. What's the FSB for those who don't know what Sorry, the FSB the fe- is, Paul? The Federation of Small Business. Okay. And they represent a lot of SMEs. And they did a report probably coming up to 18 months, two years ago. And actually, the newer the business, the more likely they are to start exporting. Mm. And I think part of the reason of that is... It's a generational thing because of a lot of younger people now are more inclined to set up their own business. And they have a different view to the world than our generations do. Mm. They don't see the borders that we do because they grow up playing online games and they might be playing somebody who's in Australia or the USA or China. Mm. And, and they kind of don't have that perception of a border being that big a deal. Mm. Uh, and also with the with the onset of inter- the internet and online sales, many people who have a .co.uk website are selling overseas. They just don't think they're exporters. Mm. Uh, again, I can give you an example if you want. I was invited to do um, a talk in Todmorden to... Um, a group of business people there and I was was told I had 15 minutes and it was in a retail shop Um, and I'm stood there and I'm looking at the crowd and thinking how do I pitch exporting to these people so I thought I just asked a simple question I said how many people in this group and there's a group of about 20 people are exporters and two people put their hands up Mm. So I, I then said, okay, th- how many of you have a, a, an e-commerce website? And 50% of the crowd put their hand up. Mm. So I said, 
keep your hands up, but put your hand down if off that e-commerce website you've never sent a parcel outside the UK and only a couple of people put their hand down. Mm. So I just said, okay, why did you not keep your hands up when you when I asked her any of you exporters? Because you're all exporters. So the perception is... The perception was they're not, mm. but they are. They're what um, we would call accidental exporters. They don't necessarily need, know they're doing it. So there was a lady stood just by me and said, oh my God, I'm an exporter, I never realised it. Mm. So I said, well, if you're getting business without promoting it, I said, a simple thing like putting on your website, we deliver worldwide, may well bring you more business. So I, I think the whole perception of export, as I say, is changing. I think it's interesting about the generational thing. You like to say the world doesn't have any uh, borders and boundaries anymore, certainly no. for, for, for newer younger businesses um, but there's still a lot of red tape associated I guess with you know paperwork and compliance with with customs and all the sort of things that go with that um, is that something that should put people off or is that something that's fairly easy to navigate it can put people off and and in some ways it it should put people off certain things um, it should make them think about where they're going to start. Mm. Start where it's simplest, where the paperwork is simplest. Um, for example, I would never suggest anybody starts with South America mm. uh, as an mm. export market unless they have a very good reason to do so because the bureaucracy and the paperwork is quite intense there. Okay. So look at markets that are easier, um, Europe, um, Australasia, um, they're, they're easy markets to deal with mm. and leave the more difficult markets to the, to your next phase of expansion. Once you're a bit more mature and once exactly. you've got a bit more experience. Yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned Europe there and it would be remiss of us. Mm, uh, apologies, listeners and viewers. We're <laughs> going to actually mention the B word, but we can't really do a podcast on trading internationally without mentioning the B word. And that B word could be either Brexit or Boris, I guess. Um, without getting too party political, and I'm conscious that we're recording this and it's going out probably a couple of weeks down the line. Um, what impact has the whole Brexit debacle had or continue to have on international trade ambitions of UK businesses at this stage? I suspect, and um, evidence from people I've spoken to is, it's caused some people to pause and think about whether they're going to do it. Mm. For existing businesses... Um, I think the big problem, and I was invited to speak on BBC Radio York a few months back, and we asked this very question, is even at this stage, and it's changing on a daily basis, we don't really know what we're planning for. Mm. Um, from my point of view, uh, the purpose of Brexit is that we can negotiate our own trade deals. Uh, trade deals are very important. The most important trade deal we should be looking at is a trade deal with the largest uh, single market in the world, and that's on our doorstep in the, in, the, in Europe. Okay. So it's the uncertainty that's the problem, and that's why there's a bit of inertia around, and obviously Absolutely. people are not sure. So if you're not ready to start uh, trading internationally, it may be that you'll wait until it's all settled if you're looking at Europe as your destination market. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um the other thing I come across quite often is um, 
sort of trading internationally, particularly exporting, sometimes seems a bit reserved for those making products rather than those who are from a service-based business. You know, I, I, I work with lots of service businesses who wouldn't dream of thinking that they could trade internationally or export their, their services. But why do you think that's the case where people have a perception that it's manufactured goods that are the, the, the driver and, and not necessarily the service sector? Because that's not true, is it? No, not true at all. We've, we've discussed this earlier. Um, some of our biggest exporters are service providers, um, insurance companies, solicitors, lawyers, financial services. You know, we, we are world leaders in some of those sectors. But those sectors often are, are driven by the bigger players, aren't they? You can yes. imagine, obviously, you know, big global PLCs and things, and mm-hmm. you know, the banking, the financial services sectors, household names. But if you're a if you're a local, regional sort of small, medium sized business in the north of England, providing services, let's say training or um, I don't know accountancy or whatever it might be, does it seem like it's not for you? That may be people's uh, view, but I don't think that's correct. Um, th- the point I was going to go on to make was that. British services are very highly regarded, particularly if you look in the Far East. Uh, they look on us, uh, they're looking to learn from us to the way we do things. Mm. Um, and I can give you an example again that the, there was um, a company that I'm aware of, an architect's practice in, in this region in, in Yorkshire. Mm. Uh, and they were came across by accident an opportunity uh, to put in design specs for care homes in China. Uh, It came out of the blue. They were a little bit surprised and they thought, well, yeah, let's give it a try, but had absolutely no expectations. Mm. Um, They won the contract, much as I say to their surprise. Um, And that's resulted in multi-million pounds worth of business for them. Now, they're not a big practice. They're not one of the big architect companies. Mm. And the same is true. I've spoken to people. Yorkshire is one of the leaders in the knowledge sector. Yes. Uh, it's one of Yorkshire's main exports, uh, along with, with the medical sector. Um, and there are people out there doing training, um, teaching people the way you think we do things over here, because... Foreign, foreign companies, foreign countries, foreign people, look at the uh, at Britain um, as an example of the way to do things. Okay. Well, I had an interesting um, conversation and a little meeting with a, a former colleague of mine the other day, actually on the same subject. He's embedded in China for all sorts of reasons in terms of uh, business interests and, and, and family, etc. And he uh, came up to meet me in York and he was looking at doing a piece for one of his Chinese uh, uh, corporate clients who were exhibiting in the UK and in Frankfurt. He was doing a piece on the cultural bit, you know, how Europeans and the, and the British particularly, you know, handle business meetings, eat food, use the cutlery, etc. But it, I also helped him with a piece around uh, exhibition protocols. Um, and I never thought for one minute, you know, that that was anything other than me just helping out you know, a former colleague and, and, and a mate, really. But he's tapped into something there that um, he thinks has got some legs and has got some some mileage in terms of um, kind of offering a, 
a service for Chinese companies, particularly where he's based, looking at expanding this way into so into Europe and, and the UK. So it's not just one way, it's not export, it's international trade both ways. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned earlier that I've just spent three weeks at three exhibitions. <clears throat> the middle one was actually in Germany, and I was there working with a group of American companies basically to help them understand the business culture and the way to sell in Europe. Mm. Um, you know, the old adage that we are two countries separated by a common language is very true. You know, there are there are terms that they use uh, that are perfectly run-of-the-mill and normal to them that can have very different meanings over here. Mm. Um, also, in Europe, we have a certainly a more laid-back style to sales than, than the Americans do. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time talking about non-work-related subjects, uh, for example, whereas the Americans, they're in there, it's straight in there. A bit, bit more dynamic, a bit more upfront type thing. Dynamic can be perceived over here as being aggressive as well. Mm. Um, so absolutely, um, and... Business culture is a hobby horse of mine. I think that's a very important part of dealing with foreign foreign businesses, learning about their, the way they deal. As you mentioned earlier, we went to China. Simple things like handing over your business card with two hands. Yeah. Um, l- leaving food in your plate when you finished eating because if you empty your plate, it's a sign they haven't fed you enough. Right. Um, just simple things like that. Not giving a watch as a gift. We, we, you know, we, we, we have stories about watches in China, but you would never give a watch as a gift in China because it's seen as a sign of the passing of time. So it's a sign of death. Wow. Okay. So, so my watch collection's a bit of a worry then, is it? If I've got 14 watches in a watch box, am I... Just don't give them to, to any Chinese friends. Excellent. You'll be fine. Excellent. Yes. I'm not looking for the Grim Reaper on my drive <laughs> when I get home then. That's no, all right. No. Okay. Um, it brings me on to a question I, I've, you've kind of preempted. I think what I know the answer is going to be is, mm. so what's the biggest mistake or assumption people make when they're considering international trade, whether import or export then? What is the biggest problem? I think, as you say, we've just touched on it. Assuming that everybody does business the way we do business. Mm. Um, for ex- example, if we, we look at the Middle East, um, I always advise people, put an extra 10% on your price. Mm. Because if you're selling in, in the Middle East, they have a culture of barter. So even if you go to them and they think that's a really good price, they'll mm. ask you for a discount because that's the nature of the, the way they do business. Right. Um, if you go to Asian countries, um, you have to understand in Europe and North America, we're very much business first, relationship second. Mm. They're completely the opposite. They're a re- relationship first, business second. So that takes that, a lot of time then, doesn't it? There's a lot more investment. There's a lot more yes. uh, relationship build from the front rather than even getting down to talking brass tacks about absolutely they want to get to know you um as i said to you when we when we were looking at the business you were talking about earlier you've got to go out there you've got to meet the people you've got to look into the whites of their eyes and they will um ask you about your family and 
and what you do and where you live. Um, I had a colleague who went to China for the first time and, and was absolutely appalled. Oh, the people are so rude and nosy over there. They're not. They're curious. Mm. They want to know about you. We had the experience in Shanghai where people came up and, and asked to have a picture taken with you. Mm. Complete strangers, they don't know you, but yeah. they want to go home and show a picture that they've taken with a guaylo. Yeah. You know, it's just in their nature, they're curious. They're really happy that you've gone to their country and taken that time to get to know the, the country and the people. Well, I found them very uh, um, friendly, hospitable, and, and, you know, we were royally well looked after for yeah. the few days we were there mm -hmm. and you know the, the the driver that we had and the lady who was looking after us with the factory visits couldn't have been more helpful but they were um you know in, in some respects it, it was it was slightly odd because you, you you were warning me as we were coming back into shanghai really late one evening and you know we were both shattered from jet lag and we'd had a long day on the factory visits etc that um they would still say do you want to come out for dinner? And we were looking at our watches, it was half past 10. And we have to handle that in a sensitive way because it's it's impolite to say no, but it's 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 almost in their culture to say, we can't let you go without taking you out to dinner. I found that slightly strange because I just wanted to hit my bed. I was absolutely shattered. But you said to me, sort of whispering, uh, you know, we'll need to handle it quite sensitively. So mm -hmm. there are very different cultural aspects mm -hmm. of of trading internationally, working internationally. And, you know, on that, on that basis, um, the services that Line Tree Europe provide, and the work that you do with some of the programs that you're involved in, in terms of the education of, of businesses, are really valuable, aren't they? And some of it might seem obvious, but you know you get a lot of good feedback, don't you? Yeah, the thing I've learned is, though, and I'm sure you find the same, is what's obvious to me because I've been doing this for forty years isn't obvious to other people. So sometimes. Um, you have to tell people what you think is blindingly obvious, mm. but it isn't blindingly obvious to everybody else. I call it my book one, page one moment, where yes. you're thinking to yourself, really? You yes. don't? What do you mean you don't know that? But it is based on 40 years of experience. If you've mm. never done something, you don't know, mm. do you? So it, it, it is the book one, page one moment. Um, you provide a range of services, don't you, at Lime Tree and at uh, Europe, and, and I've got here consultancy training, even hands-on kind of you'll go and work with a client and, and run an exhibition stand for them, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wh which is the most popular area of your business? You know, if you split your business down into those services, what are you getting more inquiries for and, and what's perceived to be the most valuable by your clients? I think the hands-on actually sitting there working as part of their team mm. is definitely the most popular at the moment because... Uh, businesses have had to become leaner and meaner. They don't necessarily have the expertise in-house. And quite often, uh, they don't need it on a full-time basis. Right. Uh, I'm going to a, a business later today. I probably do two, three jobs a year for them because they that's the number of export jobs they get. But they're quite big contracts. Mm. But they don't need somebody all the time to do that for them. So when so when you're going in, you're going in on a project basis to yes. say, we'll get this over the line mm -hmm. and I'll see you next time that you need exactly. that to happen. But equally, I, I have customers that I'm there every week for them. Mm. And you're absolutely right about the exhibitions. Um, as we've said, I've spent quite a lot of time doing that recently. But um, 
I'm used to going to these overseas exhibitions. Mm. Um, I went to one last year with a customer, and as we were coming back, he said it was interesting to watch, he said, because the way you dealt with the customer changed uh, by where they were from. Right. And I hadn't even realised I was doing it. That's book one, page but two, that, that book, yeah, Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yes. You know, if, if you're dealing with somebody from Scandinavia, for example, you know they're going to be quite laid back. Mm. If you meet somebody from Japan, it's very formal. Mm. Um, and I guess you kind of just do, it's autopilot for me. Yeah, but it's autopilot based on, like say, 40 years of experience. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that your clients spot that and see that and see how you, you react differently on that basis. Okay. Um, Conscious of confidentiality and also the listener demographic, you must have a few stories about some of your international trips, Paul, that might be of, uh, you know, just audience audience interest, I guess. Uh, I'll share one with you when we were in Shanghai and I was looking to um, to buy a, a watch and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just have a look at what they've got. I won't buy one from the first vendor who offers me one. And ultimately, I bought two watches from the first vendor who offered me one and moved on from there. And Paul was saying, yeah, well done. You've done really well there in terms of looking at the options of market. But, you know, diving in is probably a nature of me. But uh, I'm sure you've got some fantastic stories, of, of, uh, which are probably better than that for, for the audience. Uh, I've had lots of strange experiences. Um, I, th- I think I'm very keen, as I said, on telling people to understand business culture. So the story is good, now I'm going to tell you. Uh, completely goes against that. Right. Um, I was in Dubai earlier this year, and I was I'd, I'd been out for the day. I'd been with customers, and I'd, I'd gone back to my hotel and decided I was going to go out for something to eat, and decided to go to one of the big shopping malls, which there are several in Dubai. Mm. Uh, and I had a day ticket for the metro, so I. Um, I walked to the metro station, which was just round the corner from my hotel, and I heard the train coming in. So, being English as we are, uh, ran down the stairs, ran straight onto the train without looking where I was going, Mm -hmm. and ended up in the ladies and children's carriage. Realised my mistake straight away, and it's a long open train, so you just walk through to Mm. the... Uh, the section for anybody, uh, only to be approached by a lady to tell them that I'd violated the law and uh, I'd have to get off at the next station and go to the police station with them. So at this point, I'm thinking, good grief, Paul, you give people all this advice about understanding local culture and you've just broken every rule uh, in your own book. Um, so we got off the train and the lady said to me, do you realise what you've done? So I explained, yes, I'd heard the train coming in, r- saw the door open, ran in, it was my own fault. Um, and she said, she then asked what I thought was a very biz- bizarre question. She asked how old I was. So I told her and she said, well, in that case, we respect our elders in Dubai. Oof. So I'm just going to give you a warning and ask you to be more careful in future. Wow. Uh, if I hadn't have been one of her elders, the fine w- was about £250. 
Wow. Okay. And I had no desire to find out what the inside of a jail in Dubai looks like. No, I suspect So not. it's just be, just be careful and, and listen to your own advice. Yeah. On a, on a more amusing basis, um, Sh- Shanghai again, but not, not on the visit with you. I was with a colleague, a, a company I used to work for. We'd been met by a driver to take us to a factory and he didn't speak any English, so he's pointing, we're going up to the um, uh, multi-storey car park. So as you do, as we would have done, I'm chatting with my colleague, we come to the car, we walk either side to get into the car, I'm chatting away, and my colleague said, next minute I'd just disappeared. And there turned out to be a hole in the floor of the multi-storey car park, and I'd fallen through it. Wow, what, to the next floor down? Fortunately not, no, it was just a hole between the floors, um, but I was wearing a tan-coloured suit at the time, which I then spent the day with a tide mark uh, halfway up my trouser leg from the water that accumulated in oh, right. in the hole. Nice. I would say, by the way, that's a real fashion faux pas anyway, wearing a tan-coloured suit. Paul, not so. not in the middle of summer in uh, in Shanghai. So. Okay, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you off the tan tan-coloured suit. <laughs> so I, I get I guess the the moral of the story there is just a, a keep an eye out what you're doing and don't don't rush onto trains uh, <laughs> yeah. like you would do in the UK in the underground. So it doesn't matter if you just close the doors behind you, but in certain parts of the world, it makes it, a big difference. it makes a big difference. Okay. Yeah. Um, if anyone's listening or watching this and is looking to think about considering international trade for their business, what would be the one piece of advice, the golden bullet, if you like, that you would share with them to give them the best chance of success? What should they be doing and what should they be thinking about? The first thing they need to think about is where they want to sell. And it's very easy, and you're right, I do training courses and I always ask this question, where would you like to sell? And the, the, the answer is, quite often, oh, everywhere. Right. Uh, and that's great. Why not? But it takes time. There's a 180-odd uh, states, I think, registered with the United Nations. Mm. Um, then the second thing, you quite often get America, India, China. And yes, why not? Mm. If it's right for you. But if you don't really know... Go for the low-hanging fruit. It's amazing how many people I'll say, do you sell to Ireland? All Uh, right, oh yeah, okay. And people say, no, well, that's an export market. Mm. But it's an export market where they speak the same language, they shop in the same shops, they watch the same TV channels. We're almost almost part of the same market. There's a familiarity Uh, on both sides there, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or... You know, closer European markets, uh, Scandinavia, Holland, where they have very similar taste to us. Mm. Or English-speaking markets. Um, So think about where you want to sell and take baby steps. Right. Look at it. Maybe have a short and medium-term list and there might be... uh, Three, three countries on your short-term list, another three or five on your medium-term list, mm. and plan. Take baby steps. Would you do one at a time then, Paul? Would You, you know, if you've got three on your short-term list, would you still fully um, formulate your plan and your activity and your actions and get embedded in the first one? Or would you think it's okay to try three at a <coughs> time? You know, where's the, where, where's the best advice on that? The sweet spot would depend on the company right. and the size of the company, it's what they can cope with. Mm. You know, if they're a very small company, one 
is probably sufficient. If they're more um, more established, a little bit larger, a medium-sized company, then three might um, be fine. I think my big piece of advice is find a trade show, find a European trade show. Um, inevitably, they'll be in Germany, in mm. Cologne or Dusseldorf or Frankfurt. Or yeah, Munich. massive, some of those uh, Absolutely. Uh, trade shows over there, aren't they? Yeah. Go and take a look. Mm. And my advice is look at what your competitors are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if a competitor, you know your competitors, you know what they sell at, you know how you can compete against them. Mm. If you look, if they're selling in an overseas market, there's a fair chance you can. Yeah. But look at what they're doing. Try and find out what price they're selling at. So you get a feel for the market and talk to people, go and talk to people at an exhibition. Mm. And, and you'll learn an awful lot. And then decide, yeah, that might be right for me, so maybe the next year, go and give it a go yourself. Okay. The last thing I'd say is a little bit of a plug for Lime Tree Europe is obviously give you a call and uh, and see if you can help them with anything from culture to planning to paperwork and, and, and you know, activity around that for them. Yes, please. Excellent. Okay. Well, Paul, your contact details will be on the end of the podcast for people to to do just that. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure this morning. Great to see you again. It's been a little while since we've uh, shared the same space. And uh, that's mainly because you're busy traveling the world doing international trade for you and your clients. So uh, thanks for coming into the Impact Sessions podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for asking me again. No problem. Thanks.